Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Erin Keller. We're still on Zoom, and today we also have our outdoor coordinator, Bobby Jones. Bobby, did I say that right? I butchered it. Outdoor Connection Coordinator, it's all the same. We have him on every month, and I still can't get his title right. <laughs> and Bobby's been working hard to connect us with all of our different partners and bring different people on each month. It's been great. And today we have Jason Barnes with Trout Unlimited here for the first time. So Jason, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And like I told you, I think we could just start. We just want to learn more about you, what you do at Trout Unlimited. So could you just tell us, introduce yourself and tell us about the work you do? Yeah, so uh, I'm Jason Barnes. I'm the Haunt Cutthroat Trout Biologist for Trout Unlimited. Uh, I've been working for TU for about seven years now. Um, I got my uh, fisheries career started at Endow. Um, I worked in the, um, the western side of things for Kim Tisdale for four years as a seasonal and, uh, you know, from there took on various other LCT jobs and uh, worked on uh, Lahont and Cutthroat Trout for my graduate research and uh, then finally ended up with TU. And, uh, you know, here I've been doing just about everything you can imagine from you know, rancher outreach to population monitoring and uh, everything in between. And a lot of our listeners are probably already familiar with TU, but can you tell us a little more about it and just for those who aren't and what you guys do? Yeah, so TU is a nationwide um, cold water conservation organization, a nonprofit who works toward, um, you know, reconnecting, uh, protecting cold water fish resources, native and non-native. Uh, so it's a pretty wide breadth. There's about uh, 250 of us across the nation who do everything from uh, habitat restoration to uh, work with beavers in Washington and, uh, you know, me here in the Lahont Basin working directly with fish, um, trying to expand the capacity of, of the agencies that manages fish. What are some of your, I guess we could call it passion projects you've worked on at TU? Uh, well, I would say that every project I've ever worked on has been a passion project because uh, from the first time I started working with fish, uh, LCT was kind of, uh, it kind of became my baby pretty quick. And, uh, you know, right now, one of the, the big things that I do is work on Independence Lake in California, just north of Truckee. And I help the Nature Conservancy and California Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, manage the, you know, the only lake population of um, LCT in California that's uh, a remnant that's not a hatchery population. And so, uh, you know, there's been some hybridization up there when they did some dam maintenance in 2012. They let some rainbows up into this really important population. And, you know, before that, we thought all we had to do was get rid of the brook trout. Um, you know, over the past three years, we've come up with uh, zero brook trout in that stream and we thought we were uh, on our way to success and then we found this uh, hybrid problem and so that's kind of turned into that you know uh, managing for hybridization and uh, getting that population back in shape we caught it early and uh, it's a it's a really good project that we're um, 
I think we're doing a good job on and getting a handle of it. And then uh, one of the other projects that I've got going right now is uh, I'm a part of our science team. Uh, I work directly for our science director, Helen Neville. Uh, she's the geneticist who's been working with uh, Lahontan cutthroat trout for over 20 years. And we're working on a genetic rescue project in southeastern Oregon, uh, but it's applicable for LCT recovery uh, everywhere across the range. And so basically what we're trying to do, um, you know, for those who don't know, Lake Lahontan used to cover more than 8,500 square miles of the Lahontan Basin. And most of the big rivers and lakes that we see today, uh, they were either tributaries to that, that giant lake 12,000 years ago, uh, or they were entirely covered by it. Uh, but, it, you know, as the, the climate changed and the lake dried up, most of those tributaries were disconnected. A lot of those populations uh, were extirpated or, you know, went locally extinct. Um, and so we were kind of left with this landscape where we had all these disconnected populations. And then that was only uh, made worse by, you know, diversions in agriculture and um, just the need for humans on the landscape and their need for water. And so basically what we're doing with this genetic rescue project is trying to mimic that historic reconnection uh, or that historic gene flow or connection through those streams, um, bringing together that you know, need for intermixing of genes with the reality that uh, humans are needed to help. And so it's kind of a short-term short solution to a long or a widespread broad, um, problem, um, but that's kind of where we're at with that. And we're gonna finish that up this year. Hey, Jason, can we go back for just a second, just because yep. I'm not sure where all the listeners are at. Can you talk about why you would be removing brook trout from a system that you're managing for LCT and then also just go into your know, brief details of uh, quote unquote hybridization and what that looks like? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Lahan cutthroat trout have been in the Great Basin um, in one form or another for 10 million years, which is, uh, they actually just found a fossil a few years ago, just east of Reno, uh, that put those fish back in that time. Uh, and during that time, uh, LCT didn't have any other fish uh, that they coexisted with, um, no other trout species. And so they tend to not be good competitors, um, especially, well, mostly in streams with non-native fish, those non-native fish being, you know, brook trout that are from New York, uh, from back east. Um, or brown trout from Germany, or uh, rainbow trout from the west side of the range. And specifically with rainbow trout, um, you know, they're one of the most widespread stock species. Uh, I think they're on every continent but Antarctica. And um, they can actually interbreed with Lahontan cutthroat trout. And so because Lahontan cutthroat trout are listed as a threatened species, um, you know, there's no provision really in the Endangered Species Act to allow for hybrids to count as, uh, you know, valid populations for recovery. And so uh, managing for hybrid hybridization, you know, getting rid of those hybrids and maximizing the genetic diversity within pure populations is a really important part of our work. Is that covered okay? Yeah, I just, I didn't know if, you know, if people had talked about before, you know, what hybridization looks like, why you manage against it for rainbow trout and LCT and, and just what that looks like. And then, you know, you were talking about that project up north and you mentioned that gene flow mixing. 
do you want to get into just a little bit of what that means and and why that would be important for, yeah. for that system yeah so when you look back at the history of lct and there's all these creeks that that flow into a lake you can imagine that you know in these tributaries for the most part uh, these are spawning tributaries. There's going to be some stream residents, you know, that live in there year round and never go back to the lake. Um, but essentially, just like steelhead, there's some strain um, there, you know, back from their natal streams or where they were born. Uh, and there's some some mixing. So um, from my experience, I've worked with uh, the only two lakes where we have natural population of LCT and, and watched them spawn. And they're pretty opportunistic. Uh, they'll kind of take whatever they can get, which granted there's not much of that left now, but um, you know, historically we, we expect that these fish would have been pretty widely intermixed. And um, you know, we came in, genetics is a relatively new field um, in science, at least if we're talking about you know, geologic time. Um, we came in and kind of took a snapshot and we assigned LCT, all these, you know, distinct areas, and um, that was likely more an effect of genetic drift, which is just the, the natural loss of variation through time, uh, depending on who's breeding in a stream, uh, rather than specialization, which, you know, most of the time, you know, you go through a, a course and you learn that that differentiation in genetics is usually a result of specialization or adaptation. Um, but these populations are so small in most of the, you know, the 73 or so streams that they exist that, uh, you know, you just have a handful of individuals uh, breeding every year and those genes are just naturally lost in those populations. And so we kind of have these artifacts of uh, isolation. And so that's why we, we really deemed that it was important to, to find a way, you know, to mix these populations. I think ideally we would go back and connect them to these large river systems. You know, we've got the Humboldt, the Quinn, um, you know, these, uh, the Mary's River. We've got all these places where these tributaries flow into these big main stem rivers uh, that are they're, they're just disconnected now. Um, and the one place that we do have them connected um, is in Maggie Creek, just north of Carlin. And after we were, you know, TU and BLM and um, Newmont at the time, now Nevada Gold, had a big project to remove culverts and reconnect that population. And when we took a, a range-wide assessment looking at the genetics of all these populations, Maggie Creek really came out as like the top tier, uh, one of the best populations that we have. And so we realized that we needed to, uh, to mimic that intermixing um, and that we didn't really have time. Like I said, there's 73 or so populations and it seems like we lose one uh, almost every year or every other year. And so we just realized that we didn't have time to wait to connect these, these large river systems again. Uh, and so we needed to find a way to, to mix those genes. Got it. Great explanation of everything. And Bobby, I like you jumping in there and <laughs> taking the lead on some questions. Hey, Jason. So you said that nationwide there's, you know, around 250. Are they called employees or how does that work with Trout Unlimited? And what do, are, are they all, they're not all biologists, but how does that kind of 
can kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, no. So that's an important distinction. And um, one that I should definitely make is that there's kind of two arms to Trout Unlimited. There's the volunteer wing, um, you know, what most people know of as their local chapter uh, that provides volunteer efforts um, and various opportunities to be involved uh, with on the ground projects, rock rolling and stream restoration and stuff. And then from a national level, you know, those 200, you know, I think we have, um, I, would, I know it's tens if not hundreds of thousands of TU members across the country. Um, and then just 250 staff who kind of support that effort on the ground um, by applying for and receiving state and federal grants and really establishing these large projects that um, those volunteer chapters are able to assist with. And, and oftentimes those chapters in many places are the ones who are driving the agenda of the national staff um, by coming up with these projects, having uh, home waters or things that are really important to them and then looking to the national staff for support. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Of course, and we're going to stop right there. We still have a lot to get into. We will be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking with Jason Barnes with Trout Unlimited. He's telling us all about the awesome work he does as a biologist. And Jason just from the first half of the show, we were all saying how passionate you seem about what you do. We could all just tell how passionate you are. And we're staring at a painting of a trout behind you. Could you just tell us um, just where this all started and stems from? Yeah, so I mean, I think that this started uh, from a very early age. You know, I was kind of um, brought up to kind of look at you know, the, the forgotten people um, or, you know, those segments of society that are, that are often kind of neglected. Um, <clears throat> just kind of to look at them and give them your time. And I think, you know, as I was moving through uh, my career in fisheries, pretty early on, I realized that uh, Lahontan cutthroat trout were kind of the forgotten fish. And so it was just kind of a, almost like a values proposition when I learned about LCT that, uh, this was going to be, this was going to kind of be my mission. Um, there weren't many people that, uh, that had made this fish the focus of their career. Um, it had often been a stepping stone. Um, and the few people that had kind of dedicated their, their lives to this fish um, were people that I had already looked up to. Um, and so it was kind of a, just a natural progression. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the painting, like it's, uh, it's really true that my entire life is kind of LCT. Um, you know, I do a, quite a bit of art, drawing, painting, um, photography, and basically all of that, you know, uh, revolves around uh, Nevada's native fish. And, um, you know, I was born here, my mom was born here, my grandma was born here. Like, we've been here, you know, a long time. And for those, you know, five gen Nevada people, 
Um, I know we don't hold a candle to that, but you know, I love my state and I love our state fish and uh, it's really just become kind of um, my whole focus and, and I feel privileged to be able to work on it. Yeah, Jason, I know I try and get a hold of you most, most of the time if it's in the summer, I know I'm not going to get you. I can try anyways, but uh, you know, you're, you're out in the field for months at a time. You touched on Independence Lake. Do you want to just give us like a blow by blow what that kind of looks like? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the best ways to illustrate that um, and, and maybe the advantage of working for a nonprofit is you, you can really take that passion as far as you want to go. Um, I know a lot of people that work for nonprofits end up getting burnt out. You know, like I said earlier, I'm seven years in and um, I haven't got burnt out yet. But um, a couple of years ago, there was a time when um, I had driven from Reno to Independence Lake to Elko, back to Reno, up to Oregon, uh, back to Elko, well, north of Elko, um, and then back to Independence Lake in the span of like two weeks. And I remember just being so tired because I was, I think I put on 2,500 miles in, in a week and a half. And I remember pulling off the side of the highway and love locked to sleep and being so tired that, uh, you know, all those semis going by on 80 uh, didn't even have a chance of waking me up. And you know, in the past, that's that's really how I've how I've operated, and it's all, you know, for the sake of the fish. Um, you know, up until recently, I pretty much operated under the radar, and I, that's you know where I was happiest, um, just getting the work done on the ground. And we did a lot of work with Endow and um, some work with Oregon, a little bit of work with California, and um, you know, without those states, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Um, so we kind of get to tag onto their programs and and help out with all the stuff that they're doing. Um, but, you know, really it's, there's no limit on the hours that, that I can work. I try not to make my, my crews work too hard, but um, you know, they do. And I, I think it's because, you know, we've created an environment where they, they care about this fish. And I think about uh, the two that I had last year, Brandon and Monica, you know, COVID presented some uh, pretty, pretty good roadblocks for most people, but you know, for me, I was looking for solutions. Um, I wasn't going to give up on all the hard work that we've, we've been doing for this fish. And, you know, they worked 46 days straight without a day off. Um, and I was just bringing them food every week and a half or two weeks. And um, so it's, you know, it's nice to be part of an organization that, that works that hard and allows you um, to give as much time as you need um, to this fish or to whatever fish you're working on. But you know, especially for me, yeah, it's, it's historically, I've pretty much dropped off the face of the earth from um, May until October. And, you know, it's not like I was working in October, but um, I usually work, you know, anywhere between like 60 and 80 hours a week. And um, I just had to take a month off every year and go to Yellowstone and, and drop off the face of the earth and kind of just get reconnected and regrounded. So and go catch more cutthroat trout. Go catch more cutthroat trout. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the one hey. month a year when maybe I'm not thinking about LCT and I'm just thinking about Yellowstones and West Slopes and even Browns and Rainbows. So <laughs> hey, you mentioned that you have crews. What? Are, talk, can you tell us a little bit about the crews? Like, what are they? How do they make up and what? What are they doing? Are, are you hiring new people? How's that work? Yeah, so I mean, my position is funded by the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. And a big part of the reason that my position exists and the reason that we hire crews is because 
you know, over the last decade or so, um, agencies like Endow and um, Cal Fish and Wildlife and Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife have said there's just not enough of us to go around. Um, you know, there's conflicting priorities working on non-native fish and native fish and um, TU was really kind of brought into the fold to try to increase that capacity um, and, and move the needle forward on LCT recovery because, you know, this is one of the first fish that was listed under the Endangered Species Act uh, last October, I think was 50 years. Um, and we're still on that, on that threatened path um, with maybe a downward trajectory. And I think people had to realize that. And so, you know, every year I hire between the fewest I've had is two and the most I've had, I think is nine. Um, and basically, you know, either I go out and try to find my own money or we have um, money in our program from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation um, to hire crews to basically either help with the science or to help agencies, um, you know, like last year, a good example of that was uh, with Endow not being able to have seasonals. Um, I was able to have my crew out, go out to Winnemucca and help Cody Byrne with some brook trout removal uh, so that he didn't have to miss a year of that work. And so basically we're just here to do, you know, um, whatever the agencies need, whatever, uh, the, you know, the needs of the fish are across the range. And it just so happens that now we're focused um, primarily on science and then um, with that genetic rescue project and also increasing the capacity of California uh, by working in Independence Lake. Now, I know I only had mentioned it beforehand, Jason, but um, to the small documentary on some of the work you were doing, um, I wanted to share that in the show notes if you were up for it and do you want to just touch on what that was like and and what that was for sharing that story. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've always been the kind of guy who kind of wants to fly under the radar and just get the, the work done. And I was approached to make this film and I was like, absolutely not. Like there's a thousand reasons why we should not make this. Um, but, you know, the, the guy who did the filming and the editing and basically the entire movie from start to finish, um, he convinced me, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those things where, um, you know, he thought that my project site was an hour away from the airport. And turns out it was a 13-hour drive for me to get from where I was to pick him up and then back out to the project site. Um, and so, you know, during that time, he basically convinced me that, that what we're doing for LCT is worth getting out to the public. And um, I mean, that's the reason I'm here today. I, I think it's important because um, it is still kind of the forgotten fish, uh, even though it gets a lot of publicity from Pyramid. Um, you know, there's, there's 73 other populations out there um, that aren't hatchery fish that are hanging on by a thread that are in their natural environment. Uh, that have to interact with a variety of stakeholders, whether it's recreationalists or uh, permittees that are running cows in allotments on public land or people that have LCT on their private land. Um, and so, you know, I agreed to it and uh, we started filming and we just had some pretty, pretty amazing days out there. Uh, went back and, you know, when, when we were doing edits and everything and looked back at some of that footage, 
And I was like, man, this really gives you a good sense of, of what it's like to be out there. And one of my favorite things about LCT is, you know, the kind of rugged country that they live in and, and what they can persist through. And I just saw that this film kind of captured that, um, kind of like a day in the life of an LCT. And, you know, kind of got to tell their story. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have contacted me as, as a result of that film and told me that they learned something new about LCT. Uh, but I've also, through that, realized that, you know, some people are convinced that, you know, having thousands of fish in pyramid or millions of fish um, it gets us towards recovery. And I think that uh, that really highlighted the need to get out there and get the message out that the pyramid is not the only place where LCT exists. And even if pyramid were a, a perfect, perfectly functioning ecosystem with, without hatchery trout, that this species would still be in trouble um, because they are spread out across Nevada, California, and Oregon. And um, they're really, they're in tough shape and they need some help. Where I'm personally talk? happy oh, you went through with the story because it's a good message. I think it's really well done. And, uh, you know, I think conveying those stories is difficult sometimes, you know, especially when you come from the biologist mentality, like you said, you didn't want to do it. But it's kind of like your artwork. I'd encourage people to look it up. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Now I want to watch it. So I bet a lot of other people do. How could we see it? Uh, so it, if you just Google Lahontan on YouTube, um, it's a Trout Unlimited video that usually comes up first or second. Um, maybe it comes up first or second just on my YouTube because I'm uh, always trying to watch it and go back to it and seeing how I can change my message to be more effective to, to the various groups that I reach out to. Another you know thing, what? oh, go ahead, Bobby, sorry. No, you can't, no, I, each other. That's the beauty of Zoom. A lot of talking over each other. Go well, I was just gonna say, it, it, it shows also, you know, what the day in the life of someone on the LCT crew, you know, or a shocking crew, like what's it look like to have an electroshocker on your back and climbing through the willows and taping off, you know, stretches of stream and looking at slope and shocking fish and, you know, it it kind of conveys what that looks like, which, which I appreciated because I don't think, you know, it's really easy for people to say, well, we're on the survey crew. Well, what the heck does that mean, you know, to mm -hmm. a person that doesn't have that experience? So I think, I think that's also cool that you, you know, get to, get to see what that looks like. Exactly. Yeah. And in some ways that ended up, you know, being more of a, a documentary on me than I would have wanted. Um, but for the exact reasons that you said, like I'm happy that he captured the footage that he did because um, we do kind of exist in this black box and remote areas and, and most people don't actually know what we do. And that film was a really good way to show people um, exactly what we're doing out there. And we're actually running out of time, but real quick, how could, I feel like after listening to this, people are going to want to get involved just hearing what you do and how passionate you are about it. What could people do to help? Trout Unlimited? Well, um, you know, becoming a member of Trout Unlimited is a big part of that. Um, a portion of all the membership dues go to our local chapter here in Reno. Um, and that chapter is just getting up and rolling again. Uh, we're going to try to have, you know, many more um, member involvement opportunities. Um, one of the first things that I can see is, a, you know, a big part of my job is um, catching and tagging fish at Independence Lake. And the Nature Conservancy just gave us a boat. And so we're going to have an opportunity to 
to bring volunteers up to Independence Lake and, and fish for these amazing fish. Um, and so I, I imagine that, you know, just getting involved with the chapter, um, becoming a member of DU and, and receiving those communications from the chapter is going to let people get a lot more involved here in the, in the near future. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You had so much good information. So this is another one of those that it's going to go a little longer because, <laughs> because it, you had such good information. We let it go over a little on time. So we yeah. appreciate you being here. And thanks, Bobby, too, for getting this all set up. Yeah, thanks, Jason, for the personal favor. Now I owe you. Yeah, you don't owe me anything, Bobby. You're, you're great. Thank you guys for having me on. Of course, and thanks everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.